BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Welcome in. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Hope you had a fantastic weekend as we uh, gear up for the holidays here. I am Peter Sampson. I am in for JC. This is still the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. Pretty active weekend in the sports world. I'll be honest. I was looking for a little bit of a quiet, uh, quiet time. Maybe, uh, you know, one of the things about being in this job is you're always working. Now, that doesn't mean you're necessarily working hard. You feel me? Like, there's a lot of times where I'm just sitting around. Say it's a Saturday evening. Maybe I'm having an adult beverage at home. But I'm watching a ball game. And I'm not just necessarily watching it to enjoy it. I'm asking myself, what do I think about this? Do I have a take on this? Is my take any good? Does it matter? I was looking forward to one of those weekends where, you know, maybe I watched the the Beavs stomp Florida as expected. That'll be the big topic. And off we go. But uh, instead, there's a, there's a lot going on in Eugene. Of course, home of Fox Sports, Eugene. Last night, the news comes out. Bo Nix is back. And I know we've kicked that topic around on this show for a couple weeks. Look, is the guy going to come back? Should he come back? Should he look for the NFL draft? If he does, where is he going to be drafted? What's going to make the money right to decide to go pro versus the money that's available in any potential NIL collective if he comes back? Obviously, we don't know the details on all that. We don't know what kind of money he's getting to come back to Eugene. We don't know where he was going to potentially be slotted if he received a draft grade and know what that contract would look like. But we know that the math worked out for Bo Nix to come back and play another season at Autzen. And that's great news because, look, there are some question marks. You know, if Bo Nix goes and Jay Butterfield, not that he ever played, but Jay's gone, you're looking at Ty Thompson, and that's potentially it. Bo Nix, fantastic numbers. What a turnaround from the last couple years at Auburn. You know, he came in so hyped. And... He never really talked about it too much, but it's clear there was a lot of pressure on Bo Nix, man. I mean, there was a lot of pressure at Auburn. And I'm not surprised that he thrived going somewhere else and getting a fresh start. And good for him. Like, sometimes we need to do that, right? You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with where I'm at. Everything's fine, I guess. But uh, let me just see what color the pasture is over here. And all of a sudden, you can uh, you can thrive more than survive. Of course, Bo Nix, you know, a legacy guy, you know, his dad, a legend at Auburn. I mean, th- those are tough shoes to fill. Very, very difficult. And I think a lot of us were pretty surprised at Bo Nix's level of play last year, at least compared to maybe what we were expecting, uh, say, this summer, you know, before he had played. And I anticipated he'd be better. You know, I know he'd been working with a quarterback's coach. Uh, He said he had gotten married. That can affect your mindset more than you think (laughs) and kind of calm you down, get you settled. And I expected a fine, if not consistent year from Bo Nix. Now, I'll be real. After that Georgia game, I was a little bit worried. There were some, uh, it was a little bit of Auburn Bo Nix, wasn't it? And look, it's not the reason Oregon lost that game. It's fine. It doesn't matter. It's water under the bridge. But you saw some of those, uh, 
gunslinger taking chances uh, plays, those questionable decisions that uh, would frustrate Auburn fans to no end. But after that, up until the point he got hurt, and even to a degree with the injured ankle, I mean, Bo Nix was just a revelation uh, with the Oregon Ducks. I mean, his numbers speak for themselves. Uh, very, very high up there and, you know, responsible for, you know, a large amount of passing touchdowns. Of course, we saw how many times he just kept it and ran it himself. The Ducks offense was humming. And uh, this uh, takes care of a lot of potential uncertainty. Of course, Oregon still needs to look at that defense. Uh, I know they've addressed a little bit. They brought in a defensive back from Alabama, uh, which is good. That definitely addresses a position of need. But they still have more to go. So you think, sweet, Bo Nix for one more year. They can bring in uh, Mr. Dante Moore. Let him learn under Knicks for a year. Let him maybe just get a little bit of a, a little bit of a reserve action. Maybe take a few snaps in games that aren't close. And the future is looking bright. Well, so you bring Bo Nix back, and the present is looking bright. But then the news came out this morning, and it was a surprise, but it was no surprise if you've been on social media for the last, I'd say, ten days or so. You know, after committing, I think this was in July that Dante Moore originally committed to Oregon. And uh, after the uh, season, Kenny Dillingham, who was uh, involved in Moore's recruitment, you know, going to be the play caller for him. uh, He also, no surprise, goes and accepts the uh, Arizona State head coaching job. And all of a sudden, Dante Moore has removed his commitment from his Instagram page, his Twitter. And you kind of wonder what's going on here. Hmm. You know. And uh, we saw a few days ago, I think it was last week, that uh, he had taken a visit to UCLA, that uh, photo that was out there of him posing with Chip Kelly, looking all happy. Chip Kelly definitely looking happy. And I don't blame him, right? And you go, hmm, well, this is interesting. UCLA, you know, he's, uh, Dante Moore, is uh, he's from Michigan, Detroit, and, you know, UCLA going to the Big Ten, that might have mattered to Dante Moore. Uh, Dorian uh, Thompson-Robinson moving on. Much more uh, opportunity to play this season. That might have mattered to Dante Moore. And uh, the news came out today. He announced it that he did commit to UCLA. So the number three overall 2023 p- prospect flips. He's no longer coming to Eugene. He's going to be playing in Los Angeles. Now, One thing I want to say is I don't think the Ducks got caught off guard here. I'm sure they were still instituting the full court press. I'm sure their new offensive coordinator, what's his name, Will Stein, I'm sure that he was making contact with him, trying to share everything that he can do to help him be successful. I'm sure Lanning was involved in these conversations. What I'm saying is I'm I'm sure Oregon didn't just let this kid go. Yeah, oh, you want to go? Okay, cool. I'm sure they made an effort. And there were reports out there, too, that they had a contingency plan in place if this happened, and they even have another uh, top QB recruit on campus this weekend. I don't know who that is. I don't really worry about that stuff until names really come out there. I know some people are really fascinated by the recruiting stuff. I am from afar. Like, I don't have the wherewithal or the patience to really get deep into it. But I am always interested to see where these kids end up. But I don't really stress about it too much until I see them in uniform. 
Now, when you're talking the number three overall prospect, a reported you know monster quarterback, that changes things a little bit. I mean that that's a big get, and frankly, it's a big loss. So, the Ducks in great shape for next year at the quarterback position. After that, they're not in the position they thought they were going to be in. But in today's college football landscape, does that really, really matter? And I'm not trying to say it's no big deal that you didn't get Dante Moore. You wanted him, and you had him, and you lost him. I mean, and, and that's a fact. But at the same time, it's so easy to get a quarterback in the portal. And when I say quarterback, I'm, ta- I'm not talking a dude with potential, five-star talent that needs to show it. I'm talking a proven guy. You can just get it year after year after year for one single year. So I wish Dante Moore nothing but the best in UCLA. I hope all those flights back to the Midwest aren't too taxing. Hope he's able to sleep on the plane while they're constantly flying back and forth between L.A. and the Midwest. But Oregon's not necessarily as bad a shape as a lot of national pundits are saying here. Oh, it's a big loss. I mean, it is. But we're seeing a lot of these programs just every year. Who's our quarterback going to be and what's it going to cost? I mean, frankly, that's what happened with Bo Nix. I guarantee it. And it's not like he's lying when he says, oh, I love playing for Dan Lanning. I love playing at Otz and I want to come back. Well, of course he does. But also, he's got he's to get paid. He's got to live his life. So if the money's right, hell yeah, I want to come back to Otz and I love it here. These teams can do this every single year. And in a way, it almost makes more sense to do that than look at a, a high, you know, five-star, take a flyer, on a kid and hope that you can develop him and hope he pans out. Maybe the highs aren't as high, but I mean, we've seen some of the lows for these guys that don't pan out. Now I'm not saying Dante Moore won't pan out. And uh, if he's as good as advertised, that's still one that you wanted back. You wish you could have got that kid, but it doesn't mean that in 2024, the Oregon ducks are in bad shape at quarterback. I mean, again, how many quarterbacks are in the portal you know, this week, so many. How many are going to be in the portal next year when Bo Nix leaves? Possibly even more. Stephen Vaughn want to come to you. So Bo Nix announces he's coming back. That's huge just for consistency. That offense was high-flying last year. Still work to do on the defense. But if you're talking strictly uh, the next 12-game regular season, big news for Dan Lanning. Yeah, I mean, to lose... Dante Moore, it's tough because you don't exactly know what Dante Moore is going to be, right? Like, he could be great, but he could also be, you know, a bust. We've seen a lot of five-star quarterbacks, you know, not necessarily pan out yet. But my question would be for Duck fans and for you, Peter, is would you take Bo Nix with one more season of knowing what you're going to get? And that is a really good quarterback who, for a second there, was in the Heisman Trophy race right up until they lose to Washington and then they play Oregon State. Would you rather take a Bo Nix for one more season or roll the dice and take that risk of going for that five-star prospect who you know, some are saying he's going to be a first-round pick, he's going to be a top 10 quarter, top ten pick in the NFL draft when he's eligible for you know two or three seasons? I think that's the question you need to ask yourself. And, you know, for me, I would want to roll the dice. I think if you can get a guy, you know, that five-star quarterback who turns out to be the difference maker, I think that they can, you know, get to a higher level than where they're at under Bo Nix. I like Bo Nix. I like what he did last season, but I do think it is 
you know, it's not necessarily a huge loss because they had the replacement plan of Bo Nix in there, but I think it's a little bit of a loss because you want to get those five-star quarterbacks. You want to get those high-level elite prospects in there. Just, you know, not knowing what they're going to be, but having the potential of being, you know, maybe the number one pick if they turn out to be that good. Yeah, and the an- my answer to your question is, well, it depends on, you know, is Dan Landing getting his guys truly how is the rest of recruiting gone uh, last year and this year? Because if it's going as well as you hoped and as well as maybe as advertised, maybe 2024 is when you push all your chips in and you're really going for it. Obviously, not going to happen, but... <sighs> I wonder how much anymore these five-star guys actually are two or three years with them. You know what I mean? Just sort of sort of uh, an overarching theme. Like, you, you want to get a five-star guy, potential top ten pick, and you have him for two or three years. Absolutely. But in this day and age, do you? Or do they potentially just go to the next place that uh, has the NIL deal that they want? I know not everyone would do that. I mean, you know, again, you know, Bo Nix, I love it here. I'm coming back, baby. I guarantee someone else would have taken him too and maybe even offered him more money, but he's not. But you wonder, you see all this quarterback hopping. I just wonder how much you can count on having these guys for three years. Yeah, I mean, just look up at the team in Seattle and Washington. Mm. You know, Sam Heward, five-star guy going to Washington. He hasn't played the last two years, and they went out. They got Michael Penix Jr., who has almost, you know, a Heisman Trophy winning season. So, like, that could happen with Dante Moore, where he gets into camp, gets into campus, and he's just not what you think he's going to be. And so you want to take that proven guy and keep that guy. You know, with with the portal, like you said, it's such a different ball game now, and it's not just backup quarterbacks that are leaving. Uh, we just saw Drew Pine from Notre Dame. He committed to Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham gets his guy. You can go out and you can get proven starting quarterbacks that have done things against good teams in the Power Five conferences and have them on your team as a backup plan. So, you know, it, it's such a different ball game now, like you said, with recruiting and the transfer portal for quarterbacks. I just think it's tough to lose a five-star yeah. guy and feel – like it's been an okay day, like if you're a Duck fan. Yeah, it, it's it, there's no denying at the bottom line. I mean, it, it's it's a huge hit. You had this guy, and he's gone. I mean, you know, Greg Biggins, who's been on this show a million times, says it's the highest-rated recruit Chip Kelly's ever brought in, and that includes at Oregon. I mean, there's no denying that it's a tough loss. I just I just want to caution Duck fans. Again, you talk about these five-star guys. Watch how they play out first. We've seen a lot of these five-stars not necessarily uh, immediately get it at the next level. Some of them never really translate to that next level. Uh, I wouldn't stress yet. I mean, there's a good chance that you're going to be watching them in two years and you're going to be really bummed out about it, but not necessarily you got to see the result on the field first. And in the meantime, even if it's for only one year, again, you you got a quarterback back at Autzen who really, truly, I'm not saying he would have won the Heisman. He wouldn't have. Caleb Williams was going to win the Heisman. But if he hadn't injured that angle, he would have been in that conversation, truly. He had a phenomenal year. And, uh, you know, look on the bright. It's all about expectations, right? And enjoy enjoy the year. You got him back. And I think it's better for this season. Yeah, it's too early to announce, you know, Dan Lane is the new Mark Helfrich and the recruiter is going to oh. fall off the cliff, right? Like, I, I saw one Duck fan on Twitter. I don't know who it was. It was just some crazy person, like, already comparing that, like, Dan Lane doesn't know he's, okay, that's a little early for that, all right? Like, they blew the game against Oregon State. Now they lose Dante Moore. Momentum not going in Oregon's direction, but, you know, that can change on the, you know, on the flip of a dime with recruiting and just how it looks in the bowl game. So, a little early for that. 
But at the same time, like, you will still want to get the best recruits, the best talent in there to Oregon. And I think they'll be fine. Like, I don't have any worries yeah. about it. But like you said, it, at least they have something for next season. And it's not just something. It is a guy that is, you know, a potential All-American. Like, that's how good of a player Bo Nix was last season. So you got something there already for this year. Then you just got to play it year by year. 503-417-7575. How are you feeling? I know some people are thrilled. Well, I, I know most people are thrilled Bo Nix is back, and you should be. Does that offset the disappointment of Dante Moore announcing that he is flipped and is going to UCLA? I understand a lot of people are going to be mixed here. Most, mostly, I, I take college football, I take it one season at a time. Truly, there's so much uncertainty, and I know part of it is I'm not an alum. I didn't go to Oregon. I didn't go to Oregon State. I'm a Portland State Viking, and there's a whole lot of contingencies with football that go along with that. So I strictly look to next year. And uh, mostly, I'm curious how Dan Lanning is going to recruit defensive players and improve that defense. Uh, But I at least feel a little bit better knowing that Bo Nix is back for one more season. Still got to look to the future. The job never stops. You're always thinking two, three years ahead while you're building the program. That part took a hit, but uh, Oregon maintaining some stability here uh, for 2023. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side, talk some NFL. We we have to talk Pats Raiders. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. Yes, I have not forgotten you, Beaver fan. The uh, Oregon State-Florida Bowl game absolutely dominated Florida in the Vegas Bowl. We'll talk a little Trailblazers. Damian Lillard going to make some Portland history probably tonight. All that coming up on the Bald Face Truth with the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Later in the week, uh, we've got some best of BFT shows coming your way. I love these. I'll be honest, I've helped put some of them together. The conversations you're going to hear are uh, awesome. Just some of the best interviews that we've had over the last year and more. It was, it's really cool. Uh, Watching things develop, especially in the Pac-12, uh, you know, the USC, UCLA moves to the Big Ten, M- uh, NIL, all this different stuff. Sort of those conversations as it's happening or even right before it's happening. Really interesting to revisit those. So you're not going to want to miss that later in the week. In the meantime, let's uh, let's go to yesterday. Pat's Raiders. A game that uh, I had less than zero interest in watching. And it turns out I missed uh, something amazing. Of course, as soon as it happened, it was all over Twitter. I'm sure it was all over everything else. One of the craziest plays I can remember uh, seeing in a game. And, I mean, I've seen some wild, wild plays. Uh, You have a tie game, 24-24. Final, essentially the final play of regulation. You know this bad boy's going to overtime. But you still got to run off one play, try to get to the end zone uh, if you're the Patriots and seeing what you can do. I'm just going to go ahead and play a second of the radio call of this final play. The lesson here, kids, is uh, know the situation before you start lateraling like crazy. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson, breaks out of a tackle at the 50, has the 45, breaks away from another tackle, pitches it backwards, and now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it 
to Chandler Jones in midfield. Interstiffled. Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. He scores! Oh my goodness! I can't believe what I just saw. This is unbelievable. <laughs> wow! On the first night of Hanukkah, it's a miracle in Las Vegas. Yeah, that is a miracle. So if you didn't see the play, uh, you have uh, Jacoby Myers. The Patriots breaks a tackle, gets through a little bit, gains some yardage. Just enough if you saw the play where you start going, oh, they might make something happen here. But Jacoby Myers decides that he's going to be the hero. And he said as much. He said as much. He said he was just trying to do too much, that he should have been smarter and gone down and just uh, let the game go to overtime. And instead, he laterals it right to a Raiders player who just dances on into the end zone, and that's your game, 30-24. to Stephen Vaughn, I can't remember a wilder into a game than that. Yeah, I mean, the NFL this week had a couple crazy endings, but that was by far the most unexpected. And, you know, if you're Jacoby Myers, okay, here, Peter, I, I this, this, is, this is an interesting take I have on this. I blame Jacoby Myers some, obviously. You can't make that play. But he even said as much, like, it wasn't a lateral play. So I blame Ramondre Stevenson as well. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he pitching the ball to Jacoby Myers to put him in that spot and just, you know, put a guy in a spot that you're not ready for? Like, he panicked. And he freaked out. He tried to make a play. Ramondre Stevenson, the play wasn't to try to get the touchdown. It was just to run the ball and either get out of bounds or get down as quick as possible, try to spike it and get a Hail Mary off. Instead, he breaks off a you know a decent-sized run and then pitches it to Jacoby Myers, mm-hmm. who then makes the big mistake where Chandler Jones catches it. I, I blame Ramondre Stevenson as well. I think he has a lot of blame in this. Like, he's got to know better to not put his guy in a bad spot as well. Like, if he doesn't pitch the ball, Jacoby Myers doesn't make that play. And that was not the play call. Yeah, and Stevenson accepted blame as well. He said, you know, the play started off with me and the ball. If I didn't pitch it back to him, Jacoby wouldn't have had the chance to do that. And I think there might be something to that. Once all of a sudden he finds the ball in his hand, he has a pitch to him. All of a sudden, oh, we're playing the, the pitch back lateral game. Okay, let's go. I mean, I'm sure it never even crossed his mind. It's just once you start doing that, that's the situation that we're in. I What I appreciate is both these guys owned it. But I got to ask you, man, what do you think Bill Belichick said to those two guys after the game? First of all, there should have been a camera on Bill Belichick the entire time. I would love to see his reaction as the play is happening to see what he reacts. His heart just bursting through his chest like an alien. Just uh, <laughs> I mean, what do you what what do you say to those guys in that spot after the game? Like, hey, bad play there, guy. Yeah. Like, I mean, or just straight cut him, release him right there on the spot. Like, I don't know, man. He. It, it is also weird. Like, that's the other weird thing about this play is it was the New England Patriots. If there's going to be a team to not make mistakes, it's going to be the Patriots yeah. and Bill Belichick. And they looked like you know a team that was just out of sorts, especially in that last play and the last couple drives. They had a couple weird play calls. They were out of sorts, giving up plays to the Raiders. It was a really weird game, and to have Jacoby Myers make that play under a Bill Belichick coach team, man, I he cannot be. He could not have been happy. But it just, you know, he should have known better. Like, he's got to be coached up or something. I don't know. Yeah. It, I wonder if you're Belichick, if you say really anything aside from, hey, man. Like, you don't even have to do that. Like, sometimes when you have to discipline someone, you just go, you already know what I need to tell you, so I'm not going to do it. And that's as effective or even more effective than, you know, freaking out and throwing stuff or raising your voice, just being like, you know, 
you yeah. know. Because Myers obviously knew. Stevenson obviously knew. So it's like, you know, what else is there to say? There's really nothing to say. Like, bad play there. Bad play there. <laughs> but, I guess that's all. Yes, but speaking of wild games, man, let's talk, uh, let's talk uh, some Colts-Vikings. I also did not watch uh, this game. We talked about it on uh, Friday, um, that that was one of the Saturday games uh, that the NFL was having this week. I glanced on the ESPN app. I just said, I wonder what the score is. And it was 33 zip. And I, holy cow, this one is over. My goodness. And, you know, Stephen, I know you said that you uh, you sort of like the Colts. Uh, I don't remember if it was to win. It was certainly to cover. Uh, and I was like, oh, my man, Stephen Vaughn, did it again on Bet the Game. Here we go. Stunning reversal of fortune in this game. Bro, you cannot let a 33-zip lead slip away. Yeah, I mean, I like the Colts plus the points. In fairness, they still covered the game. But uh, to blow a 33-point lead, yeah, it is pretty insane. Yeah, I was doing something. Uh, you know, I was hosting the show on Saturday. I was watching the Beaver game. On Saturday, and I got a text from my buddy who was betting on the game, and he's like, "Oh, the Vikings are just terrible." I'm like, "What's happening?" And when I look, it's like fourteen yeah. zero real quick. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, the Colts are up that much already!" And and so I, yeah, I'm with you. Like, I didn't really pay attention, and then you know, I start you know, in looking in the car where it's going somewhere, and you know, the Vikings are making a comeback, and I'm like, "This is to be interesting." So I flip it on on my phone and start watching, and lo and behold, they get that lead. Do you blame? Again, let's go back to the coaches. Do you blame Jeff Saturday for that loss? Like, or do you give him credit for actually getting the team up thirty-three to you know up thirty-three points? Like Jeff Saturday is a guy who hasn't coached above high school yeah. and he was very criticized coming into the NFL. Now he blows a thirty-three point lead. Like, that is a bad look. You never live that down as a coach. And ultimately, I mean, a lot of that is let down by the players. I mean, they're the ones out there making the plays with the ball. And, uh, you know, we talk so often, you know, coaches, they play prevent. And I'm not talking about the actual formation to prevent defense, but you play that sort of prevent style. That's how you let teams come back. Ah, we'll just work some clock, take it easy, let them just dump passes over the middle and keep burning the clock. And all of a sudden, lo and behold, you're only up by six or three or down three. And I think that's what happened here. So this is a situation, especially, I mean, dude, Ursay is not a patient guy. And I know he took a, a little, or I'll even say a lot of grief for the uh, Saturday hire. I mean, you're telling me that Frank Wright couldn't have blown a 33-point lead? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's unbelievable, man. So he's he's going to take some heat if he's not already. What is What was the more surprising outcome was it the Colts blowing a 33 point lead or just an insane final play that we I mean literally have never seen something like that happen in the Patriots Raiders that's a great question I mean I I don't remember a 33 point comeback ever but I mean just that play was so astonishing I guess I'm gonna have to say that but I don't feel good about it I mean if you're up 33 nothing in the national Football League, you are done. This isn't a high school game. This isn't peewee sports. This isn't even, you know, some D2 college game. Like, that can happen. I've seen crazy stuff like that happen. This is the NFL in mid-December, bro. If you're up 33 nothing, you're what you're doing is you're hoping for a shutout. You're, you would be mad if you lose 33-10, to 10, let alone, what was the final, 36-33? Yeah, I believe so. 37-33, something like that. It, it's unacceptable. And, I mean, 
I would be. I'm I guess I'm not surprised that Ursay didn't fire Saturday because he's already whacked one coach uh, in the last month. He can't do another one. But all the people that kind of kind of laughed and giggled and and snickered when Saturday was hired. Well, I mean, this is why you don't do that. And it's nothing against Jeff Saturday, but like that's why you don't bring in a high school coach. Yeah, uh, not even a successful high school coach. Like yeah. He was an average high school coach, and you get brought in to be the head coach of the NFL team. Like that, that's you're asking for these type of results. It's like a Disney movie. It really is. And, and with the Raiders game, the Raiders Patriots, it's like if you're the Raiders, you're thinking worst case scenario, we're going to overtime. You know, yeah, best yeah, case, yeah. Even best case scenario, we're, we're going to overtime. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you're going to get the win on this final play where the Patriots decide to run the ball up the middle. I mean, just two insane things to happen. Just Stuff you don't expect to see in the NFL, right? Like you talked about it, college, peewee level. Like you can see some crazy mistakes, but in the NFL, you don't see stuff like this. Yeah. You know, the more I think about it, it, it this is like a Disney movie, except it ends with real life. The high school coach comes in, suddenly finds himself coaching an NFL team, gets up 33 nothing, but then reality slaps you in the face and you end up blowing that game, taking a bunch of heat. Like, this is one step away from having a golden retriever play on the field. Like, there's no rule that a dog can't play wide receiver. We're practically there with the Colts. You know what I mean? And maybe we, sh- maybe they should do that. Air Bud, the sequel, and just get him out there. The Colts probably had a better chance to win if they put Air Bud in the game. You'd probably call better plays, get the team fired up, you know, handing out milk bones, giving everybody, you know, walking around, getting pets from everybody, getting them fired up. I was trying to think of a dog pun I could throw for football, but I can't think of one. A bootleg? No. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, it's all right. throw, seriously, throw the fans a bone. There we there, go. That works. There it is. That works. <laughs> 503-417-7575. Which one do you think was worse? Being up 33 nothing and blowing it, or uh, what happened to the Pat? Oh, I shouldn't say what happened. What the Patriots did to themselves against the Raiders. What's funny is that that's against the Raiders. That's the most Raiders thing that could ever happen, except they were the winning team. Like, if it, ha- yeah, if it happened to the Raiders when they made that play, I would have thought that. You know, that's okay. I see that. But, yeah. But- yeah. Yeah. Just a wild, wild weekend in the NFL. And, uh, I mean, that's why you watch. I mean, you know, again, I was thinking, hey, you know, I'll just kind of let things go. You know, NFL's got some games on Saturday. That's cool. Maybe they'll be fun. And uh, you got a couple all-timers here. I'm telling you, both those games, the the Saturday uh, Vikings-Colts game and, of course, that Raiders-Patriots game, like five years from now, someone's going to bring that up, and you're going to know what they're talking about. And it's not often that we get those moments it's a miracle that we got two of those moments in the same weekend. Well, you talk about movies. Like, if Disney wrote a movie and they had the game finished on that lateral by Jacoby Myers intercepted, it would be so unbelievable. Like, you would never be like, that. it's not even real for a movie. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. not a real play. That's yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I know I'm a little late for break, but let's get one phone call in real quick. Let's go to Myrtle Creek. Daryl in Myrtle Creek. What's up? I just wanted to talk about the Colts Vikings game. Yeah. Everybody's saying the Colts collapsed, the Colts collapsed, the Colts collapsed. Okay. I think we lost Daryl in Myrtle Creek. Go ahead and call back, Daryl. We uh we lost you there. I think what he's saying is the Colts collapsed. No, I I think he's about to say the Vikings uh deserve credit because they came back and won that game. And that's true, if that's what you're saying, Daryl. But uh look. 
you should never be able to come back against a team when you're down 33 nothing. Like the Colts absolutely deserve all the criticism in the world for that. 503-417-7575. We'll keep that going if you want to talk about it. And of course, the Beavers in the Vegas Bowl. What a way to reach 10 wins. We kick that around next. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. I'm Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. This is the bald face truth. Things are going well in Corvallis, aren't they? Number 14, Oregon State. They wrapped up a dream season by thrashing the Florida Gators in the Vegas Bowl. And uh, Ben Goldbrinson leading the uh, the offense there. And uh, the uh, Beavers offense. Nice and efficient, four touchdowns, 24 first downs. Your final score, 30-3. to three. And, man, they had a shutout going at the end of the ga- that game, pretty close to the end of that game. Florida decides to kick the field goal. Obviously, they need more points. Is that a Bush League move? Because, I mean, you need, you, you need touchdowns, but also you, you don't want to be shut out. I mean, does does losing thirty to three make it better than thirty to nothing, or the situation surrounding that, knowing that you were going to lose thirty to nothing, and so you kicked a meaningless last minute field goal to avoid that? We, I mean, we, it, that's sort of worse, isn't it? I sort of think so. Um, I mean, like, the, obviously the field goal is not going to matter. Going for the touchdown doesn't matter either. Like the game was over. And you know, luckily the point spread wasn't in play or the over under wasn't in play as yeah. well because that does happen some. But I don't know. I think it's kind of it's not bush league, but I don't I don't see what the benefits are of kicking the field goal. Like it, I don't think it looks better if you score three points or zero points. You know when you look down the road in five years when you look back at the Vegas Bowl and you're Florida, you're like, oh yeah, man, at least we didn't get shut out that game. No, you lost <laughs> thirty to three. Like it doesn't matter. So I don't know. I I, I don't have a you know. I don't have a problem with them kicking field goal. I just don't see what the benefit was either. Like, that's just coaching to get points rather than, like, you know, technically trying to coach to win, which that I do have a problem with. Like, a lot of coaches, I think, in football especially, they try to coach just to not be wrong, and they don't necessarily coach to win. And so I think that's kind of where this decision is, but obviously had no effect on the game. Yeah, well, I mean, the Gators haven't been shut out in 34 years, so it really would have been an accomplishment. And I did shout out the offense, but really, man, it is that defense. It's the way Oregon State has won all season long. And again, yeah, it wasn't a shutout, but you blank Florida for more than 59 minutes of that game. And no one should really be so I'm surprised that it was 30 to three and not, you know, 28 to seven, but ultimately, I mean, the Beavers great, great year this year, Florida mediocre year. And then, I mean, how many people did they have not play this game? Do we know what the final tally was uh, double digits from what I saw last? I saw it was 17 and that yeah. was including uh, Anthony Richardson. Very nice quarterback. We, you saw what he did against Utah uh, at the very beginning of this season when Florida upset uh, the Utes. And then, uh, obviously, their uh, second-string quarterback, uh, 
got arrested on some terrible, terrible charges. Uh, Jack Kitna, I believe is his name. So they were down to their third-string quarterback and never taken a snap. Frankly, it showed. That being said, I don't want to take away from the Beavers' defense in this game. They earned that, you know, only allowing three points. That wasn't necessarily just the Gators being bad. That was the Beavers just dominating defensively. Very, very good. So with that, the Beavers win their 10th game, only the third time in program history. They won seven of their last eight, and it was the school's first ever win over an SEC team. So really, this makes you ask, how close is this team to the magical 2000 team that went 11-1? and That's that is the question, right? I mean, you know, they're going to come out hopefully with another. I think they come out with another AP poll at the end of the season. Mm. It'll be interesting to see where Oregon State ends up because how much respect are they going to give to this Florida team? Like you said, that missed a lot of players. Um, you know, Oregon State dominated in the game though. Like I don't think even if you put those guys out there for Florida, that you could make an argument they were better than Oregon State. You know, you look at the Florida running game. Like that's what their strength was all season long. 33 carries for 39 yards in that game. <laughs> like, I know there were four sacks, and so that obviously in college football subtracts in the rushing yards, but, you know, just over one yard rush the Beavers are giving up. Like, that Beaver defense looked like they had all season long, and it was a dominant performance, man. I'm excited for the next couple of years, or at least next season, see what Oregon State can do. You know, there's a lot of momentum down in Corvallis. Yeah, it, again, I keep saying it feels like they're a quarterback away, but at a certain point you go, man, Ben Goldbrunson's 7-1 and one now. Again, he doesn't necessarily wow you, but he does keep getting it done. You wish, uh, looking back on the season, you wish you had those two picks against USC back that fourth quarter because, uh, man, you could really be looking at 11-1 and one now. The defense really bothered Kate, Caleb Williams, your Heisman winner. I mean, they, they were right there and just made one too many mistakes, or I'll even say two too many mistakes late in that game. I mean, and then you're talking, because, I mean, so they're ranked 14th. Even that before that, they were 16, I believe, in the previous week. And that felt a little low, not crazy low. I'm not saying they should have been, you know, seventh or something, but that felt low. They finished 14th uh, after beating Oregon. That, therefore, feels a little bit low. And now they thrash the Gators. I'm curious where the the final rankings go. Where, where, what do you think, 12? Yeah, I think probably around 12 be right because there's going to be a couple teams that lose. Um, in that vicinity, so mm-hmm. you got to give Oregon State some type of credit, even if it is against a uh, shortened Florida team. But yeah, I think twelve sounds about right. I'm hoping for top ten. I just it's a little far. So Jonathan Smith, quarterback of that 2000 team, now the coach of this team. Uh, things are going well in Corvallis. Thirty to three should have been a shutout, but you know Florida decides to kick the field goal just to get off the schneid, so to speak. What do you think about that? Let's go to the phone line. Steve is in Newburgh. What's up, Steve? Hey, you guys are doing a good job talking about the Beavers. Thanks. I wanted to comment on the uh, the idea of Florida trying to avoid the shutout. Yeah, successfully avoiding the shutout. And I don't know if you saw the post-game comments by Jaden Grant when he was asked, was it kind of a, a chicken move for uh, Florida to go for the field goal in the last 37 seconds or whatever? And I thought he gave a very mature answer. He said, well, we can feel however we want. We can think whatever we want. But the best thing is just to look at ourselves and say, we shouldn't have let him get that close. But 30-3 is still a pretty good game. Yeah, appreciate the phone call, Steve. Appreciate you listening in Newburgh.
near my old stomping grounds out in Yamhill County. Yeah, and and if you are a defender, if you're Jaden Grant, that's exactly how you want to look at it. You don't get mad about it, and you say, well, if we want to be mad, we should we should have held him back at the 45 and not even allowed him to kick that field goal. And I mean. Ultimately, yeah, it was a chicken bleep move. But at the same time, like, what are you going to do? We just thrashed him. We won 10 games. You know, a few of us are going pro. I saw Jack Coletto made his announcement today. We're all rooting for him. Uh, incidentally, Jack Coletto, nicest, one of the nicest guys I talk to off the air when I'm getting him on for this show. He's always so, so polite, so cool. Uh, so the Beavers are feeling good, and they're probably not even tripping that, oh, yeah, we earned that shutout and we didn't get it. Because ultimately, you know what? If you want to earn it, you got to earn it. Yeah, I mean, that just perfectly defines just Oregon State and their mentality, right? Like, yeah. they're more mad at themselves than they could be mad at any other team. And, uh, yeah, you touched on Coletto. It's fun to watch, you know, the national broadcast when Jack Coletto plays, and you get these national announcers. You know, Herbie was up there. Pat McAfee's up there. Like, they haven't been paying attention to Oregon State or Jack Coletto very much. And then they see this guy, and they're like, man, this guy is awesome. Like, yeah. he is just so fun to root for. Like, so it's always cool to hear when those guys are announcing. Uh, yeah, it's just a great win by Oregon State. And now, you know, looking forward to next season. I already looked at their non-conference schedule. They're at San Jose State, UC Davis, San Diego State at home, another Mountain West uh, twosome there. Yeah. It, it should be an interesting season for Oregon State, but... You know, what are they going to do in the portal? What's next for Oregon State? Whatever it is, though, you know, Jonathan Smith gets the extension. Trent Bray gets the extension. Well-deserved on both those accounts. I don't see how this Oregon State team really falls back. You know, the expectations are going to be high. And uh, now they got the guy back with uh, Trent Bray. The defense, you know, they're going to lose some players there, but it shouldn't fall off too much. It's it's. I still have to force myself to remember what and I'm just gonna say it. I don't mean to be rude, but what a joke the, the defense was. Like you know, four years ago, five years, it was bad. It was bad. No disrespect. I mean, I, they would admit it. Jonathan Smith would admit it. It was bad. And now all of a sudden, here we are with a team that is winning on defense. Almost beat USC. And even though you lost that game, held USC well below its average. And you bothered and hassled the Heisman winning quarterback. All season long, and I know, you know, if I if I told Jonathan Smith that, he'd say, I don't care. We lost that game. It doesn't matter. But, I mean, just they need to take a victory lap, man. Really, really cool stuff coming out of Corvallis. All right, well, go away. Come back. Wrap up our number one on the other side. Let's go to the NBA. The uh, Phoenix Suns still uh, having some problems behind the scenes. I'll tell you about that next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson here for John Canzano. Appreciate you rolling with me. We're going till 515 here in Portland. We're taking you to Monday Night Football. Green Bay Packers, LA Rams. If you are across the footprint of this show elsewhere in Oregon, keep it. On that dial, they got a bunch of great programming for you coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, but it is the end of hour number one, and it is time for me to give you the big splash. We do it every day on this show. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, we all know that Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver created a terrible culture that ended up forcing him out. Uh, he's in the process of selling his share of the team. 
And uh, the report came out last year uh, regarding workplace improprieties, abusive uh, relationships uh, among, uh, you know, employees and superiors. ESPN is back for more with the Phoenix Suns. Baxter Holmes uh, laying out a whole bunch of other allegations, uh, particularly involving team CEO Jason Rowley. And uh, it's uh, it's pretty troubling stuff, basically more of the same. Where have you heard this before? Executive in an NBA team screaming it down and berating employees, asking. And anytime anyone breaks out the quote, do you know who the hell I am? Yeah, you know you got problems then. And there are multiple examples of that. Sexual harassment being tolerated among big spending clients, allegedly. And... A whole bunch more allegations. And while it's shocking, it's not that shocking because, again, a fish rots from the head down. Bad ownership creates a culture. Bad executives uphold the culture. And here we are. While it was shocking, least shocking thing ever. And reading these allegations, I mean, Jason Rowley doesn't sound like the best dude. I don't know if you've had a chance to read this, Stephen, but uh, some pretty heavy stuff in this uh, Baxter Holmes report. Yeah, man, it's just a bad situation down in Phoenix, and it's it's hard because it's hard to just you know force guys to sell their teams and everything. But man, it's just some of these guys don't deserve to have teams. Yeah, like, like that's just what it is. They're just bad guys, and they ended up getting money. And I think that's the lesson is just because you got money doesn't mean you're a good person. And I think we already knew that, but just another example of uh, that. Yeah, someone even says, uh, speaking of Jason Raleigh, that uh, they even say he was a nice guy when he started. Then he became team president. And isn't that that's the thing about uh, status or power? It doesn't change you, but it actually reveals who you are in reality and were the whole time. Maybe you don't wear that nice guy mask anymore so you can keep getting those promotions. He thought he had it made. The uh, person that uh, it seems to me that he actually was came out more of a mess in Phoenix. Expect this dude to uh, face the consequences shortly. Our number one in the books. We'll be back in just one minute with our second hour. So much to talk to on the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth. That intro music is so much higher fidelity for me than it was uh, a week and a half ago. I'm telling you, I don't. We we've done some work on the boards and we upgraded our software. I won't get into the nitty gritty on that, but I'm telling you, nice wide spectrum, high fidelity sound in the cans now. It's nice. I don't know that that's necessarily banging out over the AM band. I mean, I get that. Maybe if you're listening on the FM uh, band, Fox Sports Eugene, y'all still got an FM band too, right? K-O-R-E, AM and FM. Yeah, let me know. How's that sounding? It's just a little bit better, a little bit crisper. And I don't know if it's uh, 
playing at a higher sample rate or exactly what's going on. If our DA converters are a little bit better or what it is. But, man, something something's popping, and I'm liking it. Liking it. Portland Trailblazers in action tonight. Taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder. No Yusuf Nurkic for this game. Dealing with a calf injury. Shea Gilgis. Well, first I should say the Thunder have a million players out. We, of course, uh, starting with Chet Holmgren, who will not play this year. A lot of guys out. And uh, but Shea Gilgis Alexander has uh, moved from doubtful to questionable to uh, available tonight, and uh, he's dangerous, man. Before he went down with his injury slash uh, tanking rest, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, man. If you don't know this guy, he is a revelation. He is he is so so good. The only knock against him is that he's playing in OKC, so if you're more of a casual basketball fan, you're not going to find this guy on TNT. You know what I'm saying? This dude is not playing on the worldwide leader. Maybe you can catch a little bit of NBA TV, weekly games with him, but uh, let's just say with Chet Holmgren out, they're probably flexing off a lot of Thunder games right now, and I don't blame them, but it is a shame because he's so fun to watch. He's so talented, putting up crazy numbers when he was available. But now he is uh he will be available. Uh Lou Dort available. Basically everyone else I know not available. One of the Jalen Williams is out. The other one is playing. Yes, they have two Jalen Williamses on that team. Uh no Nurkic. Jeremy Grant will play. He was dealing with a nagging injury. Now, this is one of those games, Stephen, where the Trailblazers absolutely should win this game, but with that many players out and Alexander back. It feels a little like a trap game to me. You're doing, you know, you just did the Texas Triangle. You're in OKC. You're probably a a little tired. You feel like this is a game you can take a night off. Nurk, not always, say, the star of the team, but he can be a difference maker, you know, and maybe turn the tide a little bit. He's out. I feel like if they're not careful, they could cough this one up. I'm not expecting it, but it could happen. Yeah, it's one of those games where, you're right, it's a trap game because Shea Gilgis Alexander is playing, and he is so good. 31 points a game, over 50% shooting from the field. Like, he is... As a guard. As a guard, just insane efficiency. And, you know, one of the best ways he attacks is in the pick and roll. And I know Nurk is criticized for being slow and not, you know, a shot blocker. But he is a smart positional defender, especially in the pick and roll. And much better than Drew Eubanks. So, if the Blazers are going to start Drew Eubanks, SGA and Yildiz Alexander is going to just just feast on that matchup and try to get a switch on Eubanks all game. And that's where the Blazers are going to have some problems. So you're right. I think you know, defensively, Portland has been struggling as of late anyways. The offense has been great. Again, number one in the league over the past two-plus weeks. But defensively, they've been terrible. With Nurk out, that's only going to make it even more terrible. You know, Portland's really going to have to outscore Oklahoma City tonight uh, to get the win because you know Shea Gilgis-Alexander, really good player. You talk about Jalen Williams, the rookie out of Santa Clara. He's been, you know, on a nice little streak as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they got some dudes over there at OKC that can score the basketball. And without Nurk, I think the Blazers are gonna have some problems guarding it. Yeah, and when you look at a, a Lou Dort playing, I mean, I, I, and I love me some Lou Dort. He's an inefficient scorer, but then again, you know, considering they're tanking and they shut down Shea Gilgis Alexander every year for an extended period of time, who's he supposed to pass to? So he's just jacking up between seventeen and nineteen shots a game. But where you can't knock that guy is in his defensive intensity. And what I'm nervous about, and again. I want to be clear. I expect the Blazers to win this game, but part of me goes, 
again, you you hit it right on the head. You have to outscore OKC. And I can see a situation where Dort is just slamming down the perimeter. He's switching. He's making life difficult. If you can force Dame Lillard and Ant to maybe just be a little inefficient. And then on the other side, you have Alexander going nuts for like 41 points. OKC could walk out a winner tonight. Yeah, and for how well Dame has been playing, you know, if Lou Dort is going to be on him one-on-one, like that's it's still... going to have to work, man. It, yeah, it's, he's going to have to work for his points. And he's been so good lately like he's been on fire i imagine he's gonna get the points probably get to 21 become the all-time mm-hmm. blazer leading scorer uh past clyde drexler but he's gonna make it difficult and i think that's what okc tries to do is they try to be athletic they just try to make it difficult for you and now with the shea gilders alexander playing i have to imagine he's gonna have a big game uh you know the, the thunder like to go small as well like they don't have any real true big guys just like the blazers do so the nurk injury i think does hurt offensively and defensively. I think offensively they would post him up some, and we've seen it this year. He's had a couple games where he goes, you know, for twenty and ten mm-hmm. type of thing. I think this was one of those games where he could. Without him, man, it, it's Drew Eubanks. It's going to be a lot of Trent Watford. I think. I'm in, I'm interested in this game. Like with Nurk being out, this is a game before where I thought, okay, Portland's going to get the win easy. Now with Nurk out. I think this is a game where uh, it could be a little more competitive. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And you you mentioned it, Dame Lillard, 21 points away from passing Clyde Drexler and becoming the all-time points leader in Trailblazers history. I I also expect him to get that tonight, 21, uh, definitely below his average, even if he has to work for it and he's got, say, a Lou Dort guarding him. Very cool. And it's something that, I mean, you wish he would have been able to get it at home. And I know he wishes he would have been able to get it at home. It is what it is. I mean, you're not going to go out and only score eight, so you can make sure to get it at home. Uh, But I think what's more important is he's going to get it in a season that matters. Like, this season matters. They're 17 and 12, I believe. And, I mean, they're right there. They're sixth in the Western Conference. They're only a game out of, like, third. And uh, it's really cool, even if you don't do it from Moda Center, where, hey, we're winning. I'm about to do this. I mean, I certainly... At this point, I mean, look, Dame's, in my opinion, the greatest blazer of all time. Uh, you know, you can say Bill Walton, and I understand why. He led the team to the uh, their only championship. Clyde, I understood uh, that argument as well. But as, now you have Dame passing him in all-time scoring. Uh, yeah, you know. Clyde led them to two finals. Dame's only gotten them to one Western Conference finals. But at a certain point, you got to consider the teammates. You just have to. Those uh, late 80s and early 90s Blazers teams were stacked. So props to Damian Lillard. He's getting that. But why I say it's it's cool that it, it's in a season that matters is you go down to L.A. and you've got LeBron James is going to be the all-time leading scorer this season, barring something crazy. I know they're playing better. This season does not matter for the Lakers. They're just out of the plan or maybe just barely in the plan. But they've just lost Anthony Davis, Anthony Street Clothes Davis, Anthony Day to Davis for at least a month. And I don't know. Word is, man, this is not an ankle sprain. This is not a foot sprain. There are rumors it's a break. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's a very real possibility that he will miss more than just the, uh, I think they said four to six weeks to be reevaluated, three to four to be reevaluated. I don't know that Anthony Day to Davis is coming back anytime soon. And he's the, the reason that the Lakers have been playing better. It's Anthony Davis has been playing some of the best basketball of his career over the last few weeks. And yeah, you can give me LeBron. And, you know, he LeBron's been LeBron. And you can give me Russell Westbrook accepting his role as the sixth man, and he's been playing more efficiently. And all that is true. 
But it's Anthony Davis going off for 35 and 14 a night. That's why the Lakers have been winning. And even then, it hasn't really been enough. If he's down, I mean, cool. LeBron's going to be the all-time scorer in NBA history. And you're probably going to be sitting at home at the end of the season watching the playoffs on TV. I almost, uh, Sean Hyken had this in uh, his newsletter, the uh, Rose Garden Report. He said it wouldn't stun him. He wasn't necessarily calling for it. If they uh, if they shut LeBron down after he sets the record and just at his age, just hold him off for next year. Why play him and wear him down and risk injury in a worthless season? Let him get the record. Maybe time it so he gets it in L.A. And then what are you playing for, man? So to see Damian Lillard do this, it's a much different situation than you're getting in L.A. Yeah, it's better to have it in a season where they're trying and the Blazers are obviously going for the playoffs for the play in. Uh, tournament like this is what they're doing and so it matters like these are games if this happens last year like you know it's fine it's a good moment but this one's gonna be a lot better just you know not only can they celebrate you know the accomplishment but then they can celebrate it in a season where they're actually trying to win so you're right and then Anthony Davis you touched on that you know the Lakers were playing well because of him and when he's healthy and he's playing well he's a top 10 player in the NBA like that's how good he is maybe even top five like that's how talented that guy is and with him hurt, like the Lakers just aren't good enough. They just don't have the talent to compete. So you're right. Like they have nothing really to play for. And if they really are, you know, are they, you know, if they're really sold on still going with the Anthony Davis LeBron duo going into next season, it may be the smartest choice to just bench LeBron and get him healthy for next season. I don't know that they'll do that. I think LeBron still wants to try to prove, like, I can make the playoffs, I can make the play in. I don't know if it happens with the Lakers, yeah. but I think LeBron. Uh, you know, just coming off the disappointing years, I, I don't know that he's going to want to sit out, but it may be the best choice for him to sit out. Yeah, I think that might be uh, kind of a subplot coming that may, that uh, a lot of people aren't necessarily considering. I th- I mean, we know, barring something, he's like 840 points away or something like that from the all-time record. But then after that, I mean, you know, he's locked up for another couple years. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you going to make the run? It's not happening here. I think you might have a point, though, that he might – have that belief and he might want to, you know, carry the team and get him there. But I just, I just don't think he can do it anymore, man. This is, this isn't 2006. This isn't, or Oh four, I guess I should say that LeBron's not coming back. He's still a phenomenal player. He's still an elite player, but we've seen that over the last few years, he has to have some talent around him. Uh, Of course, we are talking about it. Damian Lillard set to become the all-time leader in uh, Blazers history with points scored tonight. He needs 21. He's also eighth all-time, not with the Blazers, in NBA history, made three-pointers. He should climb another couple notches on that list this season. And, uh, I mean, Dame... You know, percentage-wise, he's certainly not up there as one of the best. But you talk about, like, the difficulty of shot and some of the big-time shots that he's made from three. I think he belongs in that conversation, too. Look, he's no Steph. He's no Clay. He's not – you can go back to even, like, Del Curry, Craig Hodges, some of those guys. He's, he's not there. But, like, when you look at the body of work, I mean, you got to rank him somewhere in the best shooters of all time. Now, Dame talked about this, and he definitely thinks he should be in the conversation uh, for number two all time. I, I think, like, it's the same thing. You know, I've had a lot of opportunity. I've shot in a lot of threes, so, you know, I feel like I'm a really good shooter. So I, if you have an opportunity to shoot a lot of them, you should make a lot of them, and um, I have. Um, so, you know, that's a, a pleasure as well. Um, I always see stuff on social media where they talk about, you know, the greatest shooters of, shooters of all time. And they always act like it's just 
crazy for people to mention me, you know what I'm saying? And I think um, for how many threes I've made, for how consistent I make them, the level of difficulty that I shoot threes with over years and years and years, um, you know, I, I just think it's kind of crazy that people don't mention me in those discussions, you know. Um, obviously, I think Steph is the greatest ever, you know, but I think after him, I don't see why, you know, why I'm not clear cut in that, that discussion, you know, not just by makes, but, you know, how I shoot it and how, you know, how um, I make tough ones all the time, how easy I shoot the ball. So um, I'm looking forward to keep keeping climbing that list, you know. So once I get up there in that top two, top three, like I'm curious to see what people will say about me as a shooter at that point. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable. I think I I don't think he's the second greatest shooter of all time, but I think he's in the discussion among those people. I mean, Steph. I mean, Steph is obvious. It's just obvious. You still got to put Reggie up there. I think Clay deserves to be up there. You can go back and look at some of the. You know, Steph's dad, Dell, was great. Um, I mentioned Craig Hodges, even though he got blackballed for er, fell out of the league, and uh, some of those other guys. But Dame, when you take the full body of work, look, eighth most makes all. time time he should be somewhere five six at the end of the season you have the two iconic playoff series ending three pointers you have the fact that he's one of just a handful of guys that uh can legit you know jack it up from 35 feet and make it you know a 35 34 percent clip that's really astonishing you know he and Steph are the two that sort of revolutionized that Trey Young you know Damon Steph walks so Trey Young could run sort of thing I think he just belongs somewhere in the conversation but Steven I'm not ready to put him there yet but it's not crazy to talk about him as, a, as a, in that list no it's not crazy at all it's just kind of what you think and what your criteria is because what based off what Dame said you know shot creation difficulty of shots yeah I may argue that Dame is the number two shooter of all time but if you're just going pure shooter like I don't think he's the second best pure shooter of all time I think there's you know guys that are above him you, 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 even a guy like Larry Bird, it was just such a different oh, yeah. game back in the day. But like Larry Bird was probably a better shooter than Damian Lillard. But Dame creates such tough and difficult shots that yeah, you can put him up there because that's the thing about Steph is Steph, if he's wide open, like it's Drano no matter what. It doesn't matter where it is. He's hit clutch shots. He's hit you know game tying shots, game winning shots. But he also creates his own shot and creates these threes, and that's where Dame thrives as well. Where you know it's tough because Clay Thompson same thing yeah so I mean he's definitely in the conversation I wouldn't put him at number two, um, but he's up there for sure and it just doesn't matter how many threes he makes or is it just the difficulty and the clutchness of those shots I think it's all it all goes into it uh, Dame you know what can you say about it he's just one of the best shooters of all time possibly the best Blazer of all time I don't know that I think he is but. Uh, He's right up there, man. He's, he's had a great career so far, and it's not even done. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Bird. I don't know why I omitted him. That's an obvious one there. And can I get a shout-out for my man Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, too? Oh, he was so ahead of his time. I mean, you talk about just pulling up from crazy distance. Even back at – he was at LSU, wasn't he? Chris Jackson, yeah. Chris Jackson at LSU. Yeah, just an amazing shooter. Uh, one of the best. Could have been one of the best uh, of all time, in my opinion. But he still deserves a shout-out, even though the uh, volume wasn't necessarily there. Uh, I'll take your thoughts on that. 503-417-7575. You can get at me on Twitter as well. JIP's in. Dame's great, but better than Ray Allen, Kyle Corver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are all-time great shooters as well. I'm not saying he's better than them. I'm saying he belongs in the conversation with guys like that.
Uh, Vic is enjoying the insight to Damian Lillard as well. Peppers in wants to see Dame get that all-time scoring record tonight. Uh, yeah, I expect him to get it. Uh, hopefully he gets it in a Blazers win. I expect a win, but as we ran down, it is a little bit of a trap game for Portland. They can't just walk in and expect like, oh, yeah, oh, Jeremy Grant is going to play. OKC's bad. They're missing a bunch of guys. We can just take it easy and walk out of here with the dub. No, 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 no. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, if you haven't seen this guy, Man, look up the numbers. The efficiency is crazy, especially on the volume that he's shooting the ball. It, if this guy played in L.A. or New York, I mean, you, you would know this dude's name. You would he, know he'd be an MVP candidate. Truly. Yeah, truly. That's how good he's been. Yeah, he's he's been just dominant. All right, we'll go away, come back. Let's switch back to the NFL on the other side. We do have Monday Night Football tonight. Rams, Packers, we'll break that down. And I got to talk a little bit of Patrick Mahomes as well. We'll do that next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the bald-faced truth on the BFT Radio Network. Appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday. We've got some best ofs later in the week. You're not going to want to miss those. We've been scouring the last year plus of Canzano's fantastic interviews. And uh, it was a great reminder of uh, yet another excellent year on this show. Uh, so if you want to hear from Dan Lanning, George Klyovkov, uh I mean, the lists go on and on and on. Do not miss this show later in the week. Uh, NFL, we are out at 515 here in Portland. We're going to have Monday night football. The... Uh, this is kind of a matchup between a pair of uh, underachieving, disappointing teams this year. The uh, five and eight Packers uh, taking on the four and nine Rams. Baker Mayfield uh, against Aaron Rodgers. If I wasn't a Rams fan, I definitely would not be excited for this. And I guess I'm still not. Uh, Green Bay still technically sort of maybe a little in it. I mean, even the Rams aren't officially eliminated, but they're, I mean, they're on the verge. They're four and nine, four and 10. The Cardinals are eliminated. The Rams aren't yet. Uh, but uh, for all intents and purposes, intents and purposes, they are out of it. Uh, what are you expecting tonight in a game here with a couple teams that really have uh, taken a big step back? There's been a discord in uh, Green Bay. The Rams, I mean, it, it's not like there's been a real lack of harmony outside of maybe, you know, Henderson kind of uh, not knowing what his role is and kind of sitting out a little bit and coming back and sitting out again. But it's a pair of teams that just aren't getting it done. Yeah, I mean, are we buying the Baker Mayfield-led Rams? And I'm not I'm not ready yet for this game. Like, so do I am ironically. You are. Okay. Ironically. <laughs> I, I I get that. It's but, like a, like being a hipster, you know. You yeah. grow your hipster mustache and you root for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I like that. I like your style. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm not buying Baker Mayfield. So it's like in this game, you know, the Packers. You're right. They're technically in the playoff race, and you look at the NFC picture. Like, it's not. It, it would be crazy if the Packers end up making the playoffs, 
But, you know, they have some winnable games later on this season, right? Like, they play the Rams this week, and then they're playing the Dolphins, who have been struggling as of late. Like, is Tua really that guy? And then the Vikings, who obviously aren't a good team. And then they finish it off with the Lions. Like, if they go 3-1, and one, they go 4-0, they're right in the playoff race. I, I think the Packers still have something to play for. Aaron Rodgers, you know, they, they the question was, are they going to play Aaron Rodgers after he got hurt and just go with Jordan Love? He said no, he wants to play. So I expect the Packers to uh, come out in this game and, you know, not necessarily put it on the Rams because I don't know that the Packers could put it on anybody. But, you know, 7.5 points is the spread. The Packers are favorite. I, I would take the Packers. I'd lay the points. I just don't trust Baker Mayfield when he was on the Browns. So now I'm not going to trust him on the Panthers or the Rams, especially when he just came in, you know, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I do wonder after having another week with the playbook how he's going to look. And don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for 300 yards and three TDs. That's not what I expect. But, man, aside from that drive, you know, basically, well, the last two drives of that game last week, I mean, Baker Mayfield, he did not know where his receivers were supposed to be. And then even when he could find him, he was leaving the ball literally like three yards short so many times. I'm wondering if he's going to look a little more comfortable back there, but I'm with you. I mean, I would not expect, I kind of had the feeling last week that Baker was going to do something. It's the only reason to watch that game. And uh, I don't know. I guess it wouldn't shock me if he does it again. But, I mean, the Rams, they're so deficient in a multitude of areas that even if Baker looks decent, I don't know that they have enough to just get it done against Green Bay regardless. Is Baker trying out basically for the Rams next season to either be competing for Matthew Stafford's job or to be the backup? Like, is that a real thing? Or are they just basically going to let him go and they pick him up because they're going to get a you know get a draft pick if he's signed right. by another team? That's the compensation they get by the picked up Baker Mayfield. You know, at first I thought it was just because the draft pick, but you know, you seem like you're a little higher on him than I am. Like, is he really competing for a job next season in LA? I think I, I think he is, and I don't think it's necessarily about Baker. I'm not high on him. I'm low on Matthew Stafford's elbow. Nah. And don't get me wrong, that's no knock on Stafford. We learned last year he's not a great quarterback in a you know on a bad team. He can win. He did it. He's the reason the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. Well, him and Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald. But that being said, man, anytime an old quarterback has elbow issues, that does not bode well. I mean, you think of Ben Roethlisberger over his last couple years. If Matthew Stafford is throwing the deep ball like Roethlisberger, Baker Mayfield has a very real chance to be that quarterback. And maybe they they look elsewhere because Baker, I don't think he's necessarily going to be locked in. And this is where I want to be. I want to be in L.A. I think there's part of him that might like the appeal of that. Because if there's one thing we know, it's the Baker uh, Baker believes in himself and he likes the attention of uh, other people believing him. And there's no better, uh, you know, place to play and, and excel than L.A. They'll forget you as soon as you struggle. But uh, if you're doing well and you're showing out and you're flashy, L.A. will fall in love with you. That being said, I don't know that the Rams are going to offer him anything beyond one year. And if he can get that somewhere else, I think he'll take it. But I'm nervous about Stafford's arm. I really, really am nervous about it. Anytime people are talking about, you know, the ulnar ligament and issues that normally face pitchers and stuff where, you know, it's not like he's going to need Tommy John, but you're talking about that area. It never ends well. Hopefully he can come back and play another couple years and and then it starts to affect him. I'm just really nervous that we've seen the best of Matthew Stafford. Yeah, you expressed this during the offseason when you mm-hmm. know, the stuff was coming before, out. Before the season even started. Yeah, you were expressing this. You know, As a Rams fan, you're all over that. And you know, I'm with you. Like Matthew Stafford, he was a big part of that team 
last season, but you know, it was it more him? Was it more Cooper Cup? Was it Sean McVay? You know, scheming up the, the offense to get Cooper Cup the ball all the time. I think it was a combination of all of it. I don't necessarily know that the Rams need you know a star quarterback as well. So I think for Matthew Stafford, like get healthy enough, but is he even going to be good enough when he comes back healthy? He was bad this year. Yeah. And how much do you blame on the elbow? How much do you blame on the age? How much do you blame on you know just the Super Bowl hangover? So I think you know for Baker. Like this is a big opportunity because we've seen Sean McVay make Jared Goff into a you know, a, you know one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. If Baker can be successful in this spot, we've seen backup quarterbacks go to good teams and then you know after failing and flopping, they fail. They go to a team, they become the backup, then they get another job. Just look at you know Mitch Trubisky in Pittsburgh. Like he mm. went to Buffalo a season ago after failing uh, in Chicago. Jameis Winston, again, like he went to New Orleans, got a chance there after learning. So I think for Baker, like this could be a learning opportunity, one of the better offensive minds in the game to hopefully then get a spot later on. Yeah, it's uh, as a Rams fan, it's pretty much the only reason for me to uh, sort of get excited about this game. And again, my, my real hope is that Matthew Stafford comes back fine, it's all overblown, and then Baker's off doing whatever he's going to do. I wouldn't mind Baker as a backup. I, I really wouldn't. But the hope is not that he is starting next year. But if there's one thing we know, man, ba- I think Baker gets too much grief. I'm not a Baker believer, but again, I just, you know, the struggles in Cleveland, it's not his fault. He was taken number one overall when he shouldn't have been. And, you know, his last year there, he was hurt. And then they brought in Deshaun Watson and essentially threw him to the curb. I mean, he struggled in Carolina. That's on him. But it's also, that's just not a, a it was kind of an underachieving team. I was looking for some decent uh, numbers out of them, maybe a sleeper playoff team, you know, to sneak in. And uh, at least, you know, show out on Wild Card Weekend. Obviously uh, not happening. But I think he's got a lot to prove. He still sees himself as a starting quarterback, even if that's not reality. So if nothing else, it's going to be entertaining to watch and see what he can do. And uh, the next uh, chapter in that is tonight, 515. You've got the Rams taking on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. We'll go away, come back on the other side. I did not get to Pat Mahomes. I want to talk about that. And uh, some baseball broadcast news. Uh, We're starting to get some schedule uh, peaks for next season on the national broadcasts. And uh, it's interesting. Who's going to be on TV the most? I'll tell you who that is. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for JC. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter Sampson, S A M P S O N. Some quarterback news Jalen Hurts. Philadelphia Eagles quarterback has a sprained shoulder. Don't know if he's going to be able to go this weekend. If he does not, the Gardner Minshew experience rides on, baby. Everyone get in the car. We're going to the Gardner Minshew experience. Minshew's fun, man. Minshew mania, the stash, whatever you want to call it. It's fun. I remember watching him. Man. It must have been 2018 at Research Stadium when he was at Washington State. I think I think it was fall of 2018. And he, it was a fairly close game early. And then Minshew went nuts and poured it on. He had, some, he had like five touchdown passes, like 425 yards, something like that. 
uh, Oregon State at the time. It was uh, Connor Blunt. And uh, even I, re- I even remember Jack Coletto getting in and playing quarterback in this game for a little bit. In Washington State, they ended up scoring 56 points. Minshew in that offense was a blast. But I'll be honest, I didn't know how it was going to translate to the NFL. And it's been mixed. We had Minshew mania, you know, pretty quick. Uh, he's sort of faded back. But here he is. He might get an opportunity. You don't know what he's going to do, Stephen, but you know it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, for sure. And, you know. It's interesting timing because, you know, the Mike Leach passing, he played under Mike Leach, mm-hmm. obviously, and, you know, was recruited pretty hard by him as, you know, he was going to be uh, a GA, I believe, for Alabama, and Mike so. Leach talked him out of it to say, hey, you know, you want a chance to play quarterback one more time, come to Washington State, and then he thrives there in Pullman, and now look at him in the league. Like, you know, I think when you talk back of quarterbacks, we just talked about Baker Mayfield. I think he's a really good backup quarterback. Gardner Minshew is another one of those guys where when he's your backup quarterback, like, you feel really comfortable yeah. because he's, you know, all you really want out of your backup quarterbacks, go 500, maybe a little bit better, make some plays. And I think Gardner can do that. You know, He's never going to be the guy that you're going to want to build around for your entire team. But to have him as an insurance policy, I think is great. He's obviously a lot of fun. You know, the mustache, just the headband, just all of him and his uh, and his glory that he has with his, uh, his little shorts he wears sometimes and just all that stuff. Like, he, he's a personality for sure. Like, if Jalen Hurts is to miss the game, like, not that it's going to be more interesting because obviously the game won't be – you know, as interesting with Jalen Hurts, he's just a much better player. But Gardner Minshew out there, like, he's a fun watch. Yeah, and, I mean, if nothing else, look, if you're the Eagles, clearly you don't want your starting, you know, quarterback who's uh, an MVP candidate to be hurt. That being said, you're 13-1, and and you've already, you're you're already in. You've already clinched a playoff berth. If there's a time, and it sounds like it's going to be a potentially, what, one, maybe two-week thing. This isn't a situation where he's going to miss the playoffs and your season is derailed. This is the time for it to happen. I just, by the way, while you were you were giving your take there, I dug it up. I was right. Yeah, it was a, it was October of, uh, of 2018. I watched that game. I had great, great seats. Kanzano hooked me up with some fantastic seats at Reeser, including the parking pass. And which is key around race research. If you've ever tried to just find a spot, yeah, good luck. Uh, and yeah, Minshew, 30 of 40, 430 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. It was so impressive. And yeah, you could still see, you know, the look, even with the helmet on, we were close enough for that. It, man, it was a trip. And uh, so I've always kind of had a soft spot for him. I'm, I'm not glad Jalen Hurts is, well, hurts uh but i am glad that Minshew is uh is going to get some action it's it's a little more likely to make me tune into this game i know that the eagles are clearly the best team in football i haven't watched a lot of philly football this year but i'm definitely gonna gonna make sure to not miss this one yeah you know after mike leach passed you know they asked jonathan smith just what they remember about mike leach and that was the one thing he said was he hated playing his teams because he knew they were going to come in and no matter what they did they were going to throw the ball all over the field, and the Beavers just couldn't figure out how to stop it. And Gardner Minshew is no exception. Like that, those Washington State teams were a lot of fun. And you know, going back to think about those teams, like they were playing in Apple Cups to go to Rose Bowls, and you know, even compete for BCS Bowls. Like that team was really rolling uh, under Mike Leach and Gardner Minshew. So yeah, you know, it'd be fun to see Gardner Minshew get another chance. And you know, he's it's going to be a tough spot because the Cowboys is one of the best defenses in the in the league as mm-hmm. well. So. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to say, like you said, it's going to be more exciting and you're more excited to watch it, but it'll definitely be uh, still have a lot of excitement to yeah. the game to have uh, those two teams playing. Yeah, the Seahawks, by the way, they're playing the NFL because of Christmas. They have the three Christmas Day games. 
uh, Green Bay, Miami, Denver, Rams, and Tampa Bay, Arizona. It's funny. Th- these were going to be like high-profile hype games. Imagine. Remember when the schedule came out? you got to understand, we haven't played this season yet. Oh, Aaron Rodgers against Miami. You know, Tyreek Hill. Miami's been good. The Broncos at the defending Super Bowl champion Rams. Russ Wilson. That is, you know, Denver's going to be in contention in the AFC. And then Tampa Bay, Tom Brady and the Cardinals, Kyler Murray. And, uh, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins. These games are all disappointing. I'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, Seattle at Kansas City on Saturday, which is where you're going to find the uh, majority of the NFL slate this week. So, Sunday... Against the Texans, Pat Mahomes went 36 for 41. That's astonishing, right? He finished the game with 20 straight completions. He just needs five more in his next game to tie the all-time record of 25 straight completions. If he if he goes six for his first six against Seattle, he's going to break the record. Do we think he can do this? Is he going to do this? Yeah. I, I think, think so. he is. I think so. Seattle, you know, they don't have the best... You know, defensive side anyways. The game is in Kansas City. Uh, that's another tough thing. And I also think, like, this is one of those, you know, it's not, it, this is a record where you never go out and you initially are like, yeah, we want to get the record for all-time completions in a row. Yeah. But after you get 20, you get a week off, and you go like, you know what, we can we can think about this. We can schedule six plays where there's going to be six easier completions. As long as Patrick Mahomes follows the game plan, you know, he goes off yeah. schedule sometimes and makes those crazy throws that he does. But, like, I think Andy Reid will do it. I think he can get him six in a row. I think he, I think he got it. After the game, he seemed surprised. He said, I did not know that at all, and that doesn't sound like me, so that's probably a one-time thing, and I'll just cherish that one. But again, I think about this here. I think there's an advantage that he gets to try to uh, to tie and break the record in the first quarter of a new game. Because how, how, do, how do games open? With some scripted stuff, some dink and dunk, you know, maybe find a, a slant over the middle. You're finding Travis Kelsey a little bit early. Now, if there's one team that's going to break that and just try to heave downfield early, yeah, it's probably the Chiefs, maybe the Dolphins, if Tua can get it that far. So I think there's a little bit of an advantage here because you don't open up necessarily by just saying, yeah, we're going to take a 45-yard shot down the sideline. Sometimes that'll happen, and frankly, sometimes the Chiefs will do that, but usually you're trying to kind of get into a rhythm here. I think he's got a good shot. Yeah, unless someone drops it. I think that's the only thing, but <laughs> right. I, I, that, you just got to be so bad at that guy. So I think you got to go to Travis Kelsey as much as you can, right? Sure-handed guy. Yeah. Uh, you can't be trusting Juju Smith-Schuster or uh, Scantling. You know, like, yeah, and these other guys. You get to see your guy, Kelsey, and let him get six in a row, and then and then you can bomb it down. How bad would you feel if he he was five for five, and then you find Scantling just on an out route, and he's got it and just muffs it, just straight drops it out of bounds? That's like the uh, like if you're going for the perfect game, right? Yeah, you can't be making errors. No, like, I mean that's just it's just hard. Like it's a different type of pressure. Yeah, I mean. Also, it goes back to the old, uh, you know, does Patrick Mahomes make that throw, right? If it's Scantling, he sees open, he's like, oh, I'm going to pass on that one. I'm going to just take a sack here and, uh, you know, play another day and try to get to Kelsey again. Yeah, you know, that reminds me once when I was younger, I uh, I threw a no-hitter and uh, mm-hmm. lost that game 2 nothing due to uh, errors, multiple errors. I did have a walk as well. I walked a dude, and then a ground ball the second gets through, and then the center fielder finally gets it, and then he muffs it, and then overthrows. Yeah, you ever throw a perfect game and lose? Yeah. 
kind of I bet it kind of feels similar to that uh, hypothetical scenario we just brought up. It's okay, Carlton Baseball. I love you still. All right, we'll go away, come back. Uh, let's talk to baseball on the other side. It's been a wild hot stove, and we're starting to get some uh, TV news. I'm ready for this. I'm Peter Sampson. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson here for John Canzano's The BFT. Hope you're having a great Monday. Mine is sailing along. Show's going fast today. Of course, we're out at 5.15 uh, because here in Portland, we have Monday Night Football. If you're listening in Eugene, Klamath Falls, Roseburg, don't touch that dial. They got some great programming coming for you as well. This weekend, man, I, w- I went to a small local show for the first time in years. And, you know, you go back far enough. This used to be my life, man. You know, I'd live in downtown Portland. And uh, I was just in walking distance of a bunch of the great, you know, like dive bars and clubs. And two, three times a week, I'm out paying my little $5 cover. And you just see bands you've never heard of. Sometimes they're terrible. Sometimes it literally changes your life and you have the time of your life. And, uh, you know, I'm older. I'm in my 40s. I don't really do that anymore. But uh, a good friend of mine coming up from Eugene uh, who played, he was the bass player in my old band back in the day. He has a new group, and it was their first show in Portland. Decided to go out and support. And uh, it was everything I expected. Uh, sparsely crowded. Cheap PBR on tap. Very loud. Very, very loud. In uh, an opening act that was, uh, how can I put this? Not great. Not great at all. And it just goes to show, man, you know, the sound man just sits in the back and no one appreciates him. It's all about the sound man. Cause for all I know, those guys sounded great on stage, but you know, you get the vocal too high in the mix and it's dry. There's no reverb and the PA is angled wrong and there's too much, you know, it's too trebly. It, none of it works, but I, I had a great time, but it reminded me of one thing and no, it's not all the fun I used to have doing that. It's that I'm too old to do this anymore, man. I had a blast. It was great to catch up with my friend. It was great to see his band was good. He can still, he still plays a mean bass. His tone's better than it used to be. I'll tell you that. Sorry, Isaac, if you're listening to Eugene. <laughs> it's, it's much better now. But, uh, man, I was, I was hurting the next day, and I didn't even go hard. But I dared Stephen Vaughn to stay out until 1030 on Saturday night. It's tough, man. Can't do it anymore. You just don't get you don't got it in you anymore, huh? I don't. I don't. I, I, you know, I stay up fairly late, but I go to bed early. You know what I mean? I'm that guy that goes to bed at nine fifteen, but stays up until eleven forty five. Yeah, it's it's much easier to stay awake at your house than to actually go out and about uh, and do stuff. You know, I went to uh, I went to the Winterhawks game on Saturday. Oh, how was that? It was good. We left after two periods. Luckily, uh, my oldest doesn't recognize that. There's three periods oh. in a hockey game yet, so we kind of tricked him into saying, "Hey, yeah, it's after, done after two. Uh, so that was fun. But yeah, like I was tired, and it was like seven o'clock when we were heading home. It's like, oh man, I'm out and about at seven o'clock. This is too late. The young ones, they love sports. I found, but they don't maybe have the patience to actually stay for the whole time. I used to have season tickets. Uh, to the Portland Pickles back in the day, and it was rad. Uh, it's, 
halfway up the first base side, literally the front row. I could just reach through the chain link fence and fence and like touch the dirt next to the the on deck circle. It, it was an absolute blast. It was so much fun. But at, at the time, my kid was three. He was three. Maybe he had turned four. And so it was awesome because, like, if these were Major League Baseball tickets, I would be so ticked off that we'd get to the game. He'd be so excited to go. He'd be like, Dad, can I get a hot dog and some Cracker Jacks and some cotton candy? Well, yeah, you can, dude. That's what you do at a baseball game. Let's do it. And he'd eat it all, and he'd make it in, in you know, and I'd be helping him. I'd eat a little bit of his dog, and I'd eat more than half his cotton candy if he got it without him looking. We'd make it another inning. And then, like, Dad, can I have some ice cream? Yeah, we'll get some dipping Dots. We'll do that. By the third inning, Dad, I'm ready to go. I'm I'm done. I And he, he'd just get squirmy. That's how they are at that age. And that's what I loved about the Pickles. Because, again, if I was paying, like, 50 bucks a seat for Major League Baseball or even a Blazer game, I'd, man, this is terrible. But the Pickles, it was a blast. It was still high-quality baseball. And, like, with the season tickets, I was literally paying, like, 10 Twelve bucks a seat for front row, man. It was awesome. Yeah, we uh, we got the tickets for free as well, but it's just like yeah, so it didn't even matter. But like, it's a great example because we went to a Blazer game earlier this year as well. Uh, my oldest is eight years old. My youngest is three, going to be four on Christmas Day. Uh, you know, she's <laughs> it's Christmas. That's just insane. But uh, yeah, so he he'll be four. So he's at that age where he gets squirmy and he can't last. But like, so at the Blazer game, they're playing the Pacers. And the game was over. Like the Blazers were dominating the game. They had the bench, the bench units in. And my oldest, he's you know he's loving basketball right now, which is awesome. Like we just went and shot around today. Um, you know, I yeah I beat him one on one, which is always good. But he's getting into it, and so he's like, well, we got to stay to the end of the game. And it's like, well, there's a minute left. Like let's just we can take off yeah. now. Blazers up by twenty. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter. He's like, no, the game's not over. Like we have to watch. And the little one is just going crazy, like, we got to get out of here. Like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep. Like, let's go home. But, yeah, no, it's, and that's the thing. It's like at the basketball game, like, we stayed because it's, well, it's the NBA. Where when it's the Winterhawks, it's like, okay, that's understandable. Like, right. we can take off. Like, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter as much. We're not huge hockey fans, so, you know, it doesn't matter to us. We love the Blazers here. So, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. With yeah, that. that's perfect. Free Winterhawks games are so much fun, and especially getting them for free, man. Like it, that's perfect. You don't feel bad about leaving. What I'm glad now, so my kiddo's turning nine here in February, is now like, I took him to a Blazers game last year, and it was the first one where it's like you are old enough. Like he hung. It was great had the concessions. He actually enjoyed the game. He was a little kind of, I don't know. I don't know until I pointed out, you see that that's Damian Lillard right there. And then all of a sudden he was just quiet and locked in and just, he was just, his eyes were just following him on the court. And it was that first time where again, he didn't, he doesn't understand the real ins and outs, but he, he at least understands the game enough. Like, Hey, those guys are the blazers. Those guys are the bad guys. The point of the game is to put the ball in the hoop, and I know where to find the score in the game clock. Frankly, as a kid, that's all you need, and we're there. And I love that, that, okay, he's he's not a huge sports fan. He likes sports, but we're to the point where I can take him to a game, and I don't have to trip and wonder, like, man, how is this going to go tonight? Are we going to end up leaving early? And, and, man, I remember those days, bro. And it's one of those things where, like, now they're at the ages, too, where they remember things, too. Like, it's going to be a memory yeah. going forward. Like, oh, yeah, we went to the Blazer game when they played the Pacers. And, you know, like, my son loves Anthony Simons. Like, oh, yeah, he Anthony Simons had a dunk in that game. Like, he'll remember those type of things. So it, it's it's a lot of fun, you know, going to games with your kids. 
especially like the professionals, like to see them at their best. It's like these are the best in the world at what they're doing. And then like if you want to get to this level, like you got to work really hard and you got to just, you know, and so I think it's a good lesson. Like that's what we're trying to tell him right now is like, you know, he he expects to be in the NBA. He's like, well, <laughs> he's like, am I going to play for the Blazers for sure? Well, no, you're not going to play for the Blazers for yeah, sure. Yeah, you might have to settle for yeah. being a Pacers yeah, guard. Yeah, you might have to go to the Mavericks or something. But yeah, <laughs> but like, it's like, no, you got to work hard. And so you, know, you you hear these guys and you have them, you know, show videos of like, yeah, these guys talking about how they have to work hard. And so it, it's a good learning experience as well. Uh, yeah. For my oldest. Uh, yeah, I love that. Uh, my kid was, he, he went to some games with me when he was like a baby. You know, you put the soundproofing headphones on him and stuff like that, and he would come. But his first actual game, it was it was the Myers-Leonard game, game four of the Western Conference Finals. I was covering it, and uh, he got, <laughs> I say that like he bought him. he got sweet tickets. Those tickets were like very expensive, even the 300 level. And if you remember, Portland up every game at halftime. I checked in with him at halftime, and I'm like, do you think the Blazers are going to win? And he just goes, no. And that's how I knew he was a real Blazers fan. He was also correct. All right, with that, we end our number two. We'll be back in just a couple minutes uh, for one final segment. We'll give you the five at five before, at least here in Portland, we take you to Monday Night Football. I appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday all throughout the state of Oregon. Uh, Keep it right here. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald-faced truth. Welcome back in, Peter Sampson, in for JC. The show has flown by. Going to give you about 10 more minutes. Before here in Portland, we transition you to Monday Night Football. Packers taking on the Rams. It is the 5 o'clock hour, and every show during the 5 o'clock hour, we do one thing, and that is bring you the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Well, it's starting, Eugene. A lot of quarterback news this uh, weekend and this Monday morning. Bo Nix last night in a uh, video released by the university announced he is coming back for another year, Nick's, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say a legit Heisman finalist, but before he got hurt, more than a fringe finalist, sort of that in-between, absolutely deserved. He was having an amazing season uh, before he got hurt, and of course, then uh, they had the losses against Washington and Oregon State. Still a fine year. He's going to play uh in the uh, bowl game against North Carolina. Now he's going to be back next year. That's good news for the Ducks because... Dante Moore, the number three overall 2023 prospect, quarterback, five-star, has flipped his commitment. He is not coming to Eugene. He's going to UCLA. He's going to play for Chip Kelly. It's the biggest commit Chip Kelly's ever gotten, and that includes his time at Oregon. Absolutely massive news. And if you're a Ducks fan, uh, yeah, it makes sense to be disappointed and bummed out. I would say pump the brakes a little bit, though. There's no guarantee the guy's going to pan out. We've seen that with five stars. Obviously, you want to think beyond next year, and you need to get a prep quarterback, and that's part of the deal. Like, they do need a quarterback out of high school. 
But the good news is Bo Nix back for another year. Now let's see what Dan Lanning and the staff can get on the defensive side of the football. Second year, five at five. Green Bay Packers are playing the Rams tonight. And for Green Bay, the Sammy Watkins experiment is over. He has been released today. And that comes as rookie receiver Romeo Dobbs is set to return from his ankle injury. So that puts the Packers receiver group back at full strength. They want to see what he and uh, Christian Watson, the rookie, can do together. As a tandem, they've only been on the field for 52 snaps this season. Of course, Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard also healthy. The Packers signed Watkins this offseason to a one-year deal worth under $2 million with the hope he could reverse his injury history. And if you remember, in Kansas City, man, he was a promising, promising guy. And he left uh, for what he thought was going to be greener pastures. But if you remember Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, of course, Watkins also a Ram for a while. He was their only veteran signing after they traded away Devontae Adams in March. And uh, Aaron Rodgers not thrilled with his receiving core, especially the young guys earlier this season. And, of course, in the preseason, he called out the receiving core. And after two games, Sammy Watkins sustained a hamstring injury, went on injured reserve, and now he has been released by the Green Bay Packers. He's 29 years old. He had only 13 catches for 206 yards, did not score a touchdown this season. Third thing here, five at five, Aaron Judge's American League record-breaking 62nd home run ball has sold for $1.5 million with the buyer's premium. That happened on Saturday night. It was Golden who sold that, a collectibles marketplace. The buyer chose to remain anonymous, but he said in a statement released through Golden, he's lucky, blessed to own a piece of baseball and American history. And if you remember, it was seller Corey Yeomans who caught the ball at Globe Life Field in Arlington, Texas during an October 4th game between the Yankees and the Rangers. He turned down a $3 million offer for the ball and elected to put it up for auction, and it sold for half that. If you also remember, if you're uh, at least in Portland, that's Bree Amaranthus' husband, if you remember Bree from NBC Sports Northwest. And uh, she covers the Cowboys and the Mavs. Uh, I don't remember her outlet, but I know she's working in the Dallas area covering sports down there. Small world. Very, very small world. Uh, you turned down $3 million, You only got half of that. That's disappointing. But, hey, on the flip side, you're $1.5 million minus a buyer's premium richer. Fourth thing here, five at five. Bijan Robinson, who joined Elite Company as one of the most prolific running backs in Texas history, announced today he is skipping his final season with the Longhorns. He will be entering the NFL draft, and he will not play in the Alamo Bowl. He says, I've done everything that I tried to do in God's plan for me while I've been here. Time to start the new journey. And I'm excited to figure out another part of my life, just like I tried to figure it out here. And man, Bijan Robinson was just fantastic. He leaves Texas fourth on the all-time rushing list there. 
more than 3,400 career yards, ranks only behind Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, and Earl Campbell. Yeah, it's not bad. He's the first Texas player with back-to-back 1,000-yard rushing season since Vince Young. He won the Doak Walker Award as the best running back in college football. Six TD runs of more than 30 yards this season. He broke 91 tackles, second in the country with more than 1,000 yards after contact. He's Mel Kuyper's number eight overall prospect, and uh, he's projected by uh, Todd McShay as going number five to the Eagles. Fifth thing of your five at five, some football schedule, or excuse me, baseball scheduling is starting to come out. And uh, the National League champion Phillies and the New Look Rangers are going to meet on the first Sunday night baseball broadcast of next season, April 2nd at Globe Life Field, where Aaron Judge hit a 60-second home run. That's in Arlington. ESPN Sunday night baseball, an institution of my childhood, will be returning for its 34th season with Carl Ravitch, David Cohn, and Eddie Eduardo Perez in the booth. It's wild. I watched David Cohn pitch in the inaugural season of Sunday Night Baseball many, many times. He was, I think, still with the Mets when they started before he moved and had a fine career with the Yankees as well. I love the job that Sunday Night Baseball does. It's one of those things that's managed to last without too many changes, still stay relevant. I'm a big Carl Ravitch guy. You know, maybe he's not John Miller. You know, maybe he's not some of these other uh, baseball broadcasters I grew up with. But uh, Carl Ravitch, very consistent, does a good job. I don't mind David Cohn in the booth at all. And I know not everyone feels this way. But uh, here we are December 19th, and I am itching for some spring baseball. No better time of the year. No better day than opening day. Hope rings anew. Everyone is uh, everyone has a perfect record, 0-0. Zero and zero. The weather's just starting to clear up a little bit. It's good stuff. And that's your 5 at 5. We do it every day on this show. Stephen Vaughn, you excited? Do you like, I know you're not a huge baseball guy, but do you get into just sort of the, the romance of opening day? Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't have a team really that I root for, but I do love baseball. Like playoff baseball is one of my favorite things. Um, I've talked about this. I don't think I talked about this before, but I'm in a. I do a fantasy baseball league where uh, it's 16 teams and it's 40 man rosters. Yeah. So like, I, so like I know a lot of the guys. I know that a lot of the minor league guys, the top prospects. So so yeah, I, I do get into it. And there's always there's something about opening day, like you said, like everyone feels like they have a chance. Yeah, I used to back in my corporate life where I used to just rot away under fluorescent lights. I just looked up to make sure these aren't fluorescent. Uh, and uh, I used to take opening day off every year. I would just use a PTO day, stay home. You watch the Cubs or the Reds, you know, at like ten o'clock in the morning, some day baseball, and then. If of course, you've got the big-time matchups in the evening. I'm already ready. Four months away, baby. With that, I'm out of time. If you're uh, in Portland, keep you here for Monday Night Football across the rest of the state. Don't touch that dial. I am Peter Sampson. This has been the BFT.